Um, I'm going to spin on a tangent, and then we're going to get in and read it. Uh, our culture in the last couple years has done a really good job of trying to uh, not harm the idea of motherhood, but diminish it or decrease it. Okay? And I want you all to understand something. No matter what you accomplish with the rest of your life, president, head this, head that, CEO, whatever it is, you will not get a more important office than to be a mother or to be a father. And as smart as we have gotten as a culture, as we watch it spin out of control, you and I need to understand it's not because we're missing these high and lofty things. It's because we're missing the simple foundational things. Mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, do not miss the blessing and the eternity-changing power of that designation. And don't settle for one day a year thinking that it's a blessing or being happy about it. You and I wake up, if you have children, if you'll have them one day, if you have access to children that don't have a parent, you and I wake up with the responsibility and the wonderful godly weight of loving them well and taking care of them. Our culture is not falling apart because it needs more smart doctors or it needs better politicians. Our culture is reeling because our parents are failing. You do not have a more important job in the world. And eternity will be changed by how you and I take on that most simple of office. Mother, father, grandfather, grandmother, or somebody that can step in and fill that gap. One of God's designations, he has many, the idea of Jesus is the good physician and all these other things, but what do we always call God? The Father. We rotate right back into that sweet designation of Dad. Right? It's the same thing with the idea of a mother. You are so important. No matter whether you work or you don't work, whatever it is, you need to juggle those things properly. You need to not let the enemy pummel you with guilt or frustration here or there or whatever else he's going in your mind, in your heart. You need to not let culture dictate what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a father. You need to do all these things in light of what God has called you to and the blessing that he provides for you and the blessing he is providing not only for your children, but so many of you have blessed my children. And I am thankful for that. Everyone here that takes those things seriously, you are a wonderful blessing. We are not spiraling out of control because we need more smart people. We are spiraling out of control because we need more dedicated people to the simplest of offices. Mother, father, or somebody stepping in and filling that role. Good coaches, teachers, you all need to remember too that a piece of that calling has fallen to you right now. So love them well and then leave the results up to God that's your responsibility only be faithful love those children well get them here so we can love them well when you get the chance but other than that man our culture is so messed up right now I am I've stopped watching the news I've kind of just navigated out of that because it's been really hard okay especially in the last couple weeks we're going to talk about that when we finish up Acts chapter 1 
Acts chapter 1. We have been talking about uh, Jesus, the life of Jesus, for months since Christmas. We started before Christmas. We walked into his birth. We come out of Christmas, and we've just been going through the Gospels, digging through these pieces, these moments of him, him living, him interacting with other people. Today we get to Acts chapter 1. What's happening is, well, in this chapter, we're going to see the ascension. And then on Pentecost, on day 50, uh, after that resurrection, we're going to see the Holy Spirit fall and take over. Just change the world. Between the resurrection and that, there's this interaction in Acts where Luke is trying to wrap up what he has tried to accomplish. Let me read that to you first. This morning's sermon is focus and fixations, and my focus is everywhere right now, which is the Lord just belly laughing right now. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented uh, himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. A quick note in all of this, we do understand that this is like part two of Luke's writings, correct? The gospel of Luke starts off like this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke knows a man that has come to faith. Luke is a physician. He is a historian. He is a brilliant man of his time, of his age. And in all of that, he wants to write out the story of Christ. He says, inasmuch as other people have, have tried, have come up with and, and brought their eyewitness accounts, I want to bring you one too. And he's writing it to a specific person. And then he gets to Acts and he changes gears. We're going to see the transition from Jesus' life into really the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So Luke is Jesus' life, his death, burial, resurrection, a little bit of what goes on after the resurrection. And then Acts chapter 1 picks up with a resurrected Jesus giving the disciples some final instructions. And then Luke writing to Theophilus about what the Holy Spirit is doing through them for the next somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 years. That's, that's the idea. That's what's going on here. The purpose... Right, this, this final look at Jesus and what's going on, Luke wants us to remember that the purpose matters. There, there's a connection here. These things were written for belief. They were written for assurance. They were written in detail for credibility. The content, he wanted to be strong. Do you know that historians have long thought Luke was crazy or a liar because of the detail with which he writes? Then guess what happened when they started finding archaeological evidence? Guess what they found about Luke's writing? All through the Gospel of Luke and all through the Gospel of Acts, he was detailed and he was correct. I love when the Lord just shows off some of these things about why we believe what we believe is not just this feeling or this emotion or even the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Some of it is God has been so generous with the evidence 
of what is true, what the Word says. You know, it wasn't the last 50 or 60 years that they were even digging in spots to confirm this stuff. People before us didn't have uh, the, the details come out from scientists and scholars and students that were digging that you and I have. The Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles have even brought people to faith. Learned individuals have come to faith after reading them and then knowing the science knowing the history, the geography, and saying, man, this guy really was correct. Names in the book of Acts have come up on inscriptions and blown people away because for years they said, he just made that up. There's nothing there. And then they would find, there's one, uh, Sergius Paulus is one of the people in the book of Acts that they thought, man, this guy's made up. He's a Roman, uh, he was a Roman officer, you know, Luke's, you know, blowing wind, right? And then all of a sudden, guess what they find inscribed? the man's name, as they're digging. I'm like, okay, well, there's another piece. Like, he was a historian of tremendous detail, and it is on purpose. He's telling you why he's writing the book. It's almost like the Gospel of John. I'm writing this book so that you may believe. When you stand up in front of a bunch of teenagers and tell them exactly what, why you're there and what you're going to do. Right? I got to tell them Friday morning, for most of your lives, you all have whined and cried about wanting somebody to listen to you and take you serious and, and think you were an adult. Well, this morning you have that displeasure of being around somebody that takes you serious. You want to be treated like an adult? Let's talk about adult things. Luke is up front about what he is trying to do. Look at verse 4 with me as we go on. The purpose of this matters. The timing matters. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What is going on? Jesus tells the disciples, Wait in Jerusalem. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done. These guys and gals, they don't have all the time in the world. They got things to do. And Jesus is looking at them and telling them to wait. How many of you like to be told to wait? Right? Oh, yeah, everybody's smirking now. Nobody likes to be told to wait. I think it's funny. You, you hear people talk about like how God answers prayer. Well, he answers prayer in yes and no and not now. Right And discerning which one is which can keep you and I out of a mess or it can run you and I headlong into one. The timing matters. Few things in life are more protective than this idea. You and I get in so much trouble, not because we want the wrong thing. Christian, I need you to understand, if you are serious about the Word and I am serious about the Word and you're surrounded with people that love the Lord, you and I most of the time don't get in trouble because we want wrong things. We get in trouble because we refuse to wait for them. That God may give them in proper time. That God may give them after the lesson has been learned or the discipline has been given, the instruction has been given. We jump and we lurch and we find ourselves in messy positions. Now this is where if we had a room full of like early 20-somethings, you would be looking at them and saying, don't pick wrong. Right? Don't pick wrong. Don't lurch, don't jump. 18-year-olds, 15-year-olds, don't pick wrong when it comes to a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiancé, right? 
Don't pick wrong. Don't pick fast. Timing matters. When God says wait, just wait. Don't take that job because it's more money. Don't take that promotion because it's more money. You sit and wait for God's timing to play out. There's nothing wrong with most of the stuff you and I are going to do initially. Now, when you and I make decisions that deviate into gray areas or we make decisions that pull us out of good community or pull us out of our routine with the Word of God, pull us out of these protective moments, we can land in messes. But most of the time, the average person doesn't look out and say, there is a very bad thing, God hates it, I want to do it. The average Christian doesn't start off like that. You and I don't want to displease our Lord. We want to love Him, but we also want the things that our flesh is craving. And so sometimes the timing gets us in trouble. The purpose of the book matters. The purpose of why you and I are reading these words matter. The timing matters. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse 6, the obedience matters. Obedience matters. Like if you and I want to be close and drawn into God, the things that we know to do that are correct, we must do them. If we refuse to do them, we must repent. And make sure God knows or make sure that, that our heart knows that God was right and we were wrong. That's repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. You were correct. I was wrong. I don't want to do it again. Help me. And we turn and we walk the direction with the Lord. Obedience matters. This is a small thing. Jesus says, go and stay. We're going to see the same thing with the Holy Spirit falls. The, the call is something so simple, but because it is that simple, a lot of times we think, well, I'll just deviate a little bit, or I'll be over here. Lord, I'll be right outside of Jerusalem. If you need me, just call me, right? I'll be close to what you wanted, but I'm not going to kind of be really exactly where you're at or where you've called me to be. Obedience matters. The disciples don't know what's going to happen. Baptized by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what they were thinking? They couldn't even get the idea that Jesus was going to be crucified hours before he was crucified. Like they weren't even gathering that. Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit falls, how that blew their mind? John baptized with water. I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, what in the world's going on? And he says, go and wait. And they're like, okay, we'll wait. They don't know what is going to happen. They don't know the when that it's going to happen. They don't even know the who. They just know Jesus said to do this little thing, and I am going to do it. But they listened to him, and when they had come together, they were there together. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, even though it was small, even though they may have thought it was insignificant, even though they may have thought they had a better plan. Should we not be out telling the story? Should we not be out talking to Jesus? That's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. No. It's exactly right. No. Do what he told you to do. Perfect timing. Man, the Lord is paying attention. They listen to him. There's obedience and they come together. There's obedience and they obey. And it's like it's something so simple. It's something so simple. 
And yet in the Christian life, as you and I are navigating big decisions, what college we're going to, who we're going to marry, what we're going to do with our career, like as we navigate these things, we lose track of the idea that the Christian life is very, very simple. Do the right things that you know to do. That's it. And I love the idea that illumination, that the Holy Spirit illuminating sin is what dictates how far we go. Can you imagine being a new Christian? And I think about this even at the age of 10, but I can't imagine being 40 years old, waking up one morning not knowing the Lord, getting saved, waking up the next morning knowing Him, and then Him showing to me everything in my life that dishonored or displeased Him. That would be enough to kill you. Lord, you are this holy and I am this sinful. But he doesn't do that. He gives illumination and knowledge and correction and you and I correct. And then he does a little more and you and I correct. And then he gets out of these physical habits and he starts to get into our heart. And then you and I both know we are in really big trouble. Like I just thought giving up this was hard or not doing this anymore was hard. And now the Lord is digging through my heart finding these areas that are black and dark and sinful and he's saying repent of that change that repent of that and so this this obedience this this dance of repentance just keeps going until you and i meet him it's a glorious wonderful thing that god deals with us like that obedience matters friends if you're spinning your wheels right now uh, in some way especially in your christian life if you are spinning your wheels right now just stop pray and then find that thing God has telling you to do and just do it. You don't need to worry about where you need to go to college or what your career needs to be. You don't need to worry about those things right now. If you're spinning your wheels, you need to stop, you need to repent, and you need to obey the first thing God is telling you to obey. And then he'll navigate the course right. This one was just, stay here, wait, And they do. Look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7 says this. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. What's he telling them right there? He's telling them, Right now matters. Like my heart has been flooded with the idea that the right now matters, the simple things matter, the foundational things matter. Why? Because we are in chaos because we're worried about these things that we have deemed big and God says get back to the foundational level. God says stop looking forward. Christian, how about this one? Stop looking backward. The enemy pummels you with your sins and your mess-ups. Your mistakes, the things you did that you shouldn't have. Your children when they come of age. Love to take those things that aren't godly and throw them back in your face. Especially if they were teenagers when you got saved or rededicated your life. They love to point out your inconsistencies. Jesus looks at me and says, listen, it's not for you to know when I'm going to return. Because that's what they're asking. The magnitude of this question is unbelievable. Jesus, are you going to overthrow Rome and set up your kingdom right now? Because we're ready for that. This life stinks. These Romans are disgusting. They're horrible people. They hate you. They hate God. They hate us. We are ready for your kingdom. Are you going to do it right now? And instead of answering the question, he just says, not for you to know. You deal with the right now. I'm giving you the most important mission in the world. Don't get lost in where you're going or what you think ought to be. And don't get lost in where you've been and what has happened. Focus on the now. This 
moment matters. Your Sunday afternoon matters. Love and honor those you get the opportunity to love and honor. Your Sunday night matters. Love and honor those you get the opportunity to. Your Monday morning matters. The kingdom of God matters and it is coming and you and I are a part of that. It matters, but it's a then. Glance at it, love it, long for it's coming, and then put your head back down to the plow and start working because people need what you have to offer right now. And stop looking backward and drudging up the past. Stop feeling guilty about things that you've done years ago. If you have repented, the Lord has forgiven. Dust yourself off and move. Stop giving the enemy your ear and then your neck. Right now matters. Make it count. Jesus is looking at them saying, it's not for you to know, verse 7. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Glance forward. Glance backward. See where you're going. See where you've been. But live right now. Focus there. Your family needs you. Your children need you. Your church needs you. Your community needs you. There are a lot of people that need what you have to offer. Get out of where you're going. Get into where you're at. Honor the Lord with the moment you have. What's verse 8 say? Well, verse 8 basically says this. These people matter. This moment matters. These people matter. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I was thinking about that as I was putting these notes together, like in my life, what would it look like? Well, my Jerusalem, my Judea, my Samaria, and to the uttermost parts, the close is Jerusalem. My home, my church, those that I'm close with, close with those that I love, that's the area where I'm still living the gospel. Just because I think you all are saved and we're Christians doing this together doesn't mean I get to check the gospel. It means I need to live it more We need to love each other better by being the gospel. We need to see it and say, that's not earthly. That's heavenly. And when other people come in here and they get that weird sensation like they are not home, that's what they are experiencing. Heaven has come, and it's you and I together. And this is a little piece of what it's going to be like for all of eternity. This is my Jerusalem, my Judea, work, access in and out the gas station we stop at all the time how about uh, that would be the comfortable places the the culture there is still close enough to deal with how about samaria the adversarial got somebody in your life that is hard to deal with got somebody at work that's longing to shoot you down to tear you up the jews when he said you're going to go to samaria they would have been like those people are worthless Right? Remember that was the gospel story repeatedly. Every time Jesus interacted with a Samaritan, he had to talk one of his followers into loving them or all of them. Like, this is going to be really cool. You're going to like it. No, Lord, this is crazy. These people are wicked, nasty, and vile. And Jesus says, watch. And the first evangelist ever is what? The Samaritan woman. Right? Or the good Samaritan is the story that he tells to tell about God's love. But these moments, this adversarial moments, remember you're living the gospel in front of them too. It's not home, and it's not safety, it's war, but you're still living the gospel there. And then how about to the uttermost parts of the world would be the unknown? Where are you going to land tomorrow? When are you going to go to college? Uh, What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Is God going to call you to be a missionary? Is he going to take you to another state? These are the unknown things, the uttermost parts of the world that you and I are going to go with the gospel message. 
the close and the comfortable, the adversarial and the unknown. He wants you and I to be living on that mission. And in phases, we're going to be in one, and then we're going to go to the other. And sometimes you'll be called to one for long periods of time. But other than that, when you're not, what are we supposed to be doing? Just living out the gospel. Showing other people the hope that is within us. Showing us the idea in verse 9. What's verse 9 say? And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. This anchor matters. Because we dive into Mother's Day, and a lot of times sermons are kind of wrapped around the idea of motherhood and, and all these other things. Listen, ladies, this is the most important principle you could ever learn. This is the most important piece of your life you could ever live out. If you get fixated on the anchor of Jesus Christ, you will be more than you ever dreamed like all of these things apply to everybody. When Jesus is lifted up, they're standing there staring. Wow, that's their anchor. That's what they're going to fixate on for the rest of their lives. That's going to be the peace that drags them through the Holy Spirit's power. But for the glory of King Jesus is going to take them to all those places he just mentioned. Many of them are going to die in the uttermost parts of the world. They're going to give their life there. Why? Because they're fixated on that anchor. He is leaving. They are watching. This is unbelievable, but there is still work to be done. Our living, directing, moving, and elevated anchor. You and I need to fixate on the King of glory. And listen, everybody is going to see an elevated Jesus. This thought hit me like a semi-truck. Everybody is going to see an elevated Jesus. You're going to see it in judgment or are you going to see it in obedience? We're going to see it with eyes open, hands out in worship, in obedience to Him, or we are going to see it eyes closed, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody, you know how they say everybody's going to bow a knee. That is true. And everybody is going to see an elevated Jesus Christ. Everybody is going to see Him high and lifted up. For those that know him, it will be a time of praise and glory and worship. For those that don't, it'll be the last glorious thing they ever see. He is the anchor. Read with me a couple more verses and we're done this morning. And while they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him. Uh, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This anchor matters. This hope matters. As he goes, he will come. One of God's gifts continues to be messengers of hope, help, direction, and refocus. These guys, like, there's, I wonder how long they stood there. Right? How long would you have stood there? (laughs) Resurrected Jesus, ascends into heaven, and you're just like, come on, come back, please. Come on. Like, you're letting go of, can you imagine how powerful that would have been to let go of? That's the Savior. That's the Messiah. Holy cow, that's God. He was dead. I saw him die. Now he's alive and now he's leaving. Like, is he really leaving this time? 
and they're standing there and they're gazing into heaven and it takes two angels to step up and jar them loose. Just like the Lord to be patient when we have moments where we are awestruck by what is going on or we don't quite understand, the Lord brings about understanding and he does so through two angels. Hey, wake up. Go on, he'll be back. The way you watched him go, he will come back. Think they were thinking about those things? When people ask uh, questions, when you get into um, like educational circles and they're talking about, well, why were these gospels written so late and stuff like that? A lot of people will point to the idea that they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. So as they were doing the work and living in the moment, they weren't thinking about having to put these ideas down on paper yet. And then all of a sudden they got a little age on them, a little long in the tooth, right? Or they saw persecution coming. And so if Jesus ascends in 30, 33 AD and they start writing gospels in 50, 55, some people say Paul was writing earlier than even the gospels. So Paul was already writing his letters to churches, whether it was in prison or out of prison. He's already doing these things. But when people are like, well, why didn't they write them down immediately? Part of it was they're standing there. Come on back, please. I don't want to go back into the hard stuff. Like, Lord, this life is going to get hard. You're not putting your kingdom together. Friends, how many of you can echo that whisper right now? Monday morning is coming, and it's going to be hard. Maybe the rest of your day, you're going to leave here and be thrown right back to the wolves. You understand this concept. So did they. He's leaving. But the way he left, he will come again. You know, and you and I get gifts by people that help uh, push us, refocus us, shove us back into Scripture, shove us back into the will of God, uh, help jar us loose at times when we are fixated, when we are uh, maybe we're broken and fixated, or maybe uh, we are just running the race and we're fixated. But sometimes you and I need a messenger to step in and to help, and God provides them even to this day. All of them come with the authority of Scripture. All of them. Anybody giving you direction in your life without the authority of Scripture, you need to take their advice very, very carefully. You need to listen to it carefully. You need to sift it repeatedly. And you need to make sure that it matches Scripture. I don't care if it's me or your sweet grandmother. I don't care who it is. They're trying to guide you in your life. You make sure that what they have to say matches what the Word of God has to say. That's what messengers from God do. They left that day in hope. They left that day with a mission. And they left that day with a promise. And what was their preparation for all of this? Obedience. Doing what they knew to do. They went, showed up, they stayed, they waited. And the Lord provides. They're going to wait one more time. And then Acts chapter 2 is going to change the whole world for all of history. Focused and fixed. Focus on the things now. Your purpose, your timing, and your obedience. Focus on this moment with these people. Who has God given you to love? Focus on them. Love them well. Honor them well. Do it right now. Be focused on those things. Tomorrow when you wake up, you'll be a better husband, you'll be a better father, you'll be a better mother, you'll be a better daughter. And then get fixated on what? Fixate on him, not a when. Don't worry about when you're going to meet him. Just be ready to. Don't worry. Don't fixate about when he's coming back. Just be ready. 
because he is. You and I need to fixate on that anchor and that glorious hope. The Lord is coming back. Fixate on the mobile but immovable. Do you understand that is the anchor you and I have? He is mobile. He moves everywhere. He moves where he wants. He does what he wants, and yet he is immovable. He is something sturdy enough to grab a hold of, and wherever you're being taken, he is still there. He is hanging on to me and you. We are hanging on to him. And in all of that, he is good. Fixate on the one that holds the world, all of time, and your heart. He does them all at the same time. That's how good our Lord is. He holds the world and keeps it spinning. He holds all time. He knows exactly what's going on. He's planned it, plotted it. He's going to make it happen in its time. He is going to fulfill his promises. And then in all of that, there's enough there to grab a hold of your heart and mine and keep it tight and secure. And then he looks at you and I and just says, be faithful. Live. Enjoy this life. As they come this morning and They get ready to play, and just for a time of invitation, listen, you all, a lot of us are spending way too many days frustrated, angry, irritated, worried, fearful, like there's all of these things, and we need to understand, and Mother's Day is a great time to do it. We might not get another one. These days are limited. Stop wasting them in sinful behavior. Stop wasting them in irritation or agitation or frustration. You and I need the idea that God is in control. He is hanging on. We're hanging on. We're focused. We're fixated on what's proper. And we're using these days up. We are wringing this life dry because we only get one shot. You're only going to get one chance. Today is your day. You're going to live it blessed or you're going to perpetuate a curse you're going to love and honor those you need to love and honor or you're going to wake up tomorrow and wish you had make today something special it's the perfect day to start living in this manner Jesus is in charge he is in control he's got the things worked out that that I'm kind of worried about that I'm thinking about that I'm worried about my future I'm worried about the world holy cow our culture's crazy what are my kids going to have when they get older worried about all this stuff and he's saying just stop the moment right now do what you have to do right now would you stand this morning If if you need something you need to pray you come